Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at richarddugan.com. And we podcast these programs at SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and many others. And we thank you so much for linking to other locations as well. If you are uh, interested in following up on what our guests talk to us about here on this program, there's a little grocery cart on the SoundCloud player that you can click on and it will take you to their website. And if you'd like to support the work that we are doing, if uh, you like the guests that we're bringing to you and the ideas that we are uh, putting forth, hey, we would love to uh, uh, have your financial support. We'll take energetic support as well. For the financial end, we do have PayPal and Patreon accounts for secure uh, support in that regard. And if this is the first time that you've listened to this program, you might want to go to our missions page and see uh, and hear as well other interviews of what we're all about here on Tell Me Your Story. Today's program you're going to enjoy. I know I am going to enjoy it. It's having to do with seven principles to to conquer obstacles, make effective decisions, and create a life on your own terms. It's the, it's the power of agency with Paul Knapper. Um, and we also have his co well, his co-author will not be joining us, but his co-author is Anthony Rayo. And uh, Paul, thank you so much for joining us and sharing this uh, particular uh, story and, and book with us. Well, thanks for having me, Richard. It's a real pleasure to be here. It's something that, um, a lot of people are, uh, it, it ties in, of course, a lot with the whole aspect of, uh, finding one's uh, purpose in life, uh, a focus, uh, for, uh, doing the things that, have meaning in their lives. I heard something to the effect <clears throat> that, for example, millennials uh, who are looking for jobs, they're not looking for jobs for money anymore. They're not, they aren't looking for jobs for money. They're looking for jobs for with meaning uh, and purpose. Uh, you know, even, you know, from that standpoint, which I find rather interesting. Uh, is that something that you're aware of as well? Yeah, there certainly are generational differences, and um, I work in, in business with a lot of business leaders um, as an executive coach. So I, I do see that among some of the younger workers. They they want to bring their whole selves into work with them. So you know that results in uh, starting up employee groups, you know, women's networks, and um, various other kinds of of, of networks. Um, employee networks where people have a shared interest, right? Uh, and and they can gather and they can have lecturers and 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 readings and you know on unrelated topics. So yeah, they really are a, a, gr a group. The millennials, you know, they, they want to be more engaged and they want the work to be personally relevant um, to what what matters to them. So there's definitely a trend in that direction. So you're you, you hit it right on the head. Define for us agency in this context. Yeah, agency is something that many, if not most people, are not familiar with. And I like to say it's the most important concept you've never heard of, and it affects you every day, all day. Agency is our capacity as, as human beings to make choices in our lives and then to act on those choices. So agency or human agency, if, if you Google human agency, you'll see a long list of, of citations and, and the definition on Wikipedia, for example. Um, it's long been discussed and, and, and debated within uh, philosophy and psychology and sociology. Um, so it's, it's stayed a bit more in uh, the academic realm. And given where we are today as a society, you know, my co-author and I decided you know, we really wanted to bring this important concept down to earth so people could actually make use of it in their day-to-day -day lives be because we feel like human agency is really under threat right now. Um, people are feeling more stuck in their lives. They're feeling uh, in some ways kind of more confused and um, having a, a tougher time making decisions. Um so we wrote this book really to zero in on this whole idea of agency. And, um, you know, again, agency is what allows us to navigate in our lives and, and basically create a life, construct a life 
that is unique to our interests and our values. So it's something that you know is 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 always there, um, whether people are you know consciously aware of it or not. It's all it's always sort of behind the scenes, operating and kind of driving us as people. Well, I I have to say that. Um... A lot of people feel like there are lots of obstacles in front of them, a lot of uh, walls that have been put up for a lot of different reasons from their perspective. Um, and and I'm going to share something with you that, of course, our listeners probably know because uh, I've shared it before. <laughs> uh, I was born into this world <clears throat> with three visual defects, if you will, or maybe challenges. Nystagmus, stigmatism, and bilateral cataracts which equates down to equals legally blind. Now, uh, my parents did the best they could uh, to help me through the formative years, if you will. Uh, and then when I was 38, I had a lens implant in my right eye. And of course, now I'm driving. I wasn't before. But during the period of time in which I was legally blind and I was bicycling, I could see well enough to bicycle. I could read large print books, a regular print too, but it was a struggle with glasses. I came up with this phrase, uh, Paul, and that is uh, that my and I say that the state is the one that labeled me legally blind. I didn't consider myself legally blind, but because of my visual acuity, that's what they called it. But I called it a perceived limitation that it's only a limitation if I choose to make it one. And yet I got into an industry back when they were playing vinyl. You had to queue up this black disc. <laughs> with with a tiny little needle and put it in the right spot and then cue it up. Uh, it wasn't the smartest move from that standpoint, but from other standpoints, it certainly was. Is that kind of what you're talking about in reference to uh, these obstacles that they're only obstacles if you choose to make them? Or are they legitimate obstacles that we need to find ways over, under, through, and or around? You know, you bring up a really critical point, Richard, which is that our capacity to adapt to our environment um, is is such a, a, a critical piece of the puzzle. And agency, uh, our level of, of, of personal agency is really what allows us to adapt. And, and, the, and if you perceive yourself as being able, you know, powerful and able to um, act on your environment, able to affect positive change uh, in your in your life and on the environment around you, um, you're going to be more confident and you're going to be more capable of adapting and, um, and, and not being held back by any limitation. Because face it, we're human. We all have we all have our strengths and our weaknesses. Um, you know, so, some people are born with great gifts in terms of athletics. Some people are, you know, more academically talented. Some people are, you know, have great um, social skills. Some people, you know, just are, you know, have, have are, are very balanced in, 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 in all areas. So everyone comes in with a certain amount of just sort of natural inclinations um, as, as people. But we it's what we do with what we have and you know your story is a great one because it illustrates you know the fact that you know through adaptation um you know just you know overcome focusing on overcoming any kind of limitation whether it's a learning disability whether it's a you know a, a mental health problem whether it's you know uh, you have a physical um, problem and you can't you can't walk um you know so many of these things can be overcome, but if you don't perceive that you're you're able to do that, you're able to overcome those things. It's going to be a lot harder. And so, agency is directly related to confidence. And you know, when we um, have more full access to our agency, we feel more confident in, in our life, and we feel more capable of acting on on the environment around us. So um, your story relates very, very directly to, to the whole concept of human agency. When did you become aware of this concept of, of human agency 
in reference to this this power you talk about. I hate to <laughs> I hate to skirt around the title of the book, the power of agency. But uh, when did you uh, realize that this was an important uh, factor? Well, we we started out uh, with a project. Uh, writing a, 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 a book on anxiety because what I'm aware of in my work, and again, I work you know, primarily with with businesses, with larger companies, and with leaders in large companies. And what I was seeing in my work, I've been doing this work for more than 20 years now. When I first started doing this work, um, yeah, I, I'd, I'd occasionally hear from one of the business leaders I was working with that they, uh, they had an overwhelming day or they had an overwhelming experience. Um, you know, the, you know, it was occasional, you know, fast forward to now, 20 years later, um, I hear about the business leaders I work with feeling overwhelmed pretty much every day now. So, um, this whole idea of people feeling more overwhelmed. And again, these are some pretty high achieving, um, people that you would, really kind of expect, you know, that outwardly, at least that they're, they're on the, on the, on, on top of their game. So people would be surprised. Many people might be surprised to hear, you know, such people, you know, kind of describing feeling overwhelmed a, a fair amount of the time. Um, so I was noticing that and I talked to my colleague, Anthony Rayo, he works with, with families and with children and he was hearing the same thing. So we, we basically, what we realized is we were dealing with a lot of, you know, anxiety. People were feeling more worried, stressed, and anxious. So we, started, we, we decided to look into some of the data. And I'm telling you, Richard, the data on anxiety in the United States is, you know, it's a real shock to most people. But we, we really are operating with a silent epidemic of anxiety in our, in our culture, uh, 20% of the U.S. population now has been diagnosed with a clinical anxiety disorder. Um, that's four, more than 40 million Americans. Um, many more are, 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 are simply undiagnosed, right? They're just sort of silently suffering. So anxiety is, has been on the rise. We went back and looked at decades of, of data on anxiety in the United States. Fortunately, we had access to this starting in the 1930s, and we see some, you know, a, a steady move upward, uh, a climb in anxiety levels, in baseline anxiety levels in the U.S. population. It really started accelerating in the 1950s um, and then took a huge jump up in the 1990s. So today, one, of the, one sort of sobering statistic is the average school-aged child today in 2019 carries around the same level of baseline anxiety as a child psychiatric patient in the 1950s. So there's been, you know, kind of like that, that frog in the, in the boiling pot of water that, you know, all of a sudden, you know, it's only when the water gets really hot and, you know, <laughs> starts to get close to a boil that the frog is really uncomfortable and notices how, how, how painful it's kind of like we're, we're, our culture is is one where there's just this excess of anxiety. So, to make a long story short, we decide to get try to get underneath that and try to try to find out what one what's driving that anxiety and two, what effect is it having on all of us as 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 individuals? And so, what we came up with is you know a number of factors are driving this this rise of anxiety, which we can get into, uh, but. You know what? What it, the effect it's having on us, on as individuals, is it's making us, giving us less confidence in our capacity to make sense of what's going on around us and make good choices, good decisions in our lives. So you know when you feel an excess of anxiety, um, or you know just you know a lot of overwhelm is a, is a shorthand way to say it, of saying it. You, you, your your confidence level in your capacity um, to make decisions decreases. It actually interrupts your your ability to utilize the part of your brain that that thinks clearly. So you know that gets interrupted. So as a society, we're you know we we, there, we see that we see people struggling, people feeling more overwhelmed, feeling more stuck in their lives, 
And so we decided we, we really wanted to, and, and the fact fundamentally is it, it, it's, it, it's decreasing their level of personal agency in their lives, you know, their confidence and their ability to navigate and make good decisions and, you know, create a, a healthy, successful, positive life. So we decided to write this book to, to give people, to help people get back to a more centered and grounded place where they're able to use the, you know, access the thinking centers of their brain better and, you know, try and get their lives more on track um, and, 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 and move their lives in the direction that they really most want to. So, so that's a long-winded answer to your question, but that's, that's how we got to this. And it's interesting how the systems, the institutions that are in play today and have been uh, even before the 1950s uh, aren't helping any. Uh, whether you speak of the economic system or institution, the religious institution, the political institution, the governmental institution, the educational institution, they're not helping. <laughs> they're actually making it worse. Uh, and what's interesting, too, is that those institutions are made up of people who are also suffering from that same anxiety, aren't they? Well, that, that's the thing. Um, you know, the, and, and a lot of people... Um, don't understand how anxiety works and the, the relationship between stress and anxiety. And we'll talk about that in, in the book, you know, I mean, stress is a normal thing. It's, it's actually a healthy thing to have some stress in your life. Mm -hmm. um, stress is, you know, is, is sort of a physiological or, or our body's reaction to a perceived threat. So, you know, stress means, you know, your heart rate elevates, your breathing qu quickens, um, you know, your blood vessels dilate, you, you know, there's a physiological response to a perceived threat. Anxiety happens really more over time. If 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 one is stressed, you know, for for long long periods of time without kind of interruption, one can start developing anxiety. Um, and so that's what we see. The other important thing about anxiety that most people don't realize is that it's contagious. It actually spreads from person to person. So if you're if you are spending time with people who are are more anxious people in general, you're going to pick up on that. And there's something in our brains called mirror neurons, and mirror neurons function so that you know my my mirror neurons are responding to yours. So if you're in a very anxious kind of worried state. I'm going to be picking up on it, and over time, I'm it, I'm going to start feeling that same anxiety. So it's a so we're spreading it from person to person, and not even aware that we're doing it. Um, and you know, as more and more people you know are suffering from this anxiety, um, again, they're just unwittingly passing it along to their children, their coworkers, their neighbors, um, and you know, so so it it it's a it, it is a really growing problem. And, you know, and the good news is there are solutions to it, right? I mean, there, you know, obviously, if you have a really significant uh, problem with anxiety, you should get treatment from a mental health professional. Um, and, you know, some people benefit from medication if it's severe and it's really interrupting your your day to day. But a lot of people are just feeling an increased level of anxiety that's, you know, getting in the way of them enjoying the, their lives and also, um, undermining their confidence in their ability to navigate and make good decisions. So for a lot of those people, you know, this book gives people concrete, you know, behavioral things and, and, and sort of mental tricks to, to, to basically help you um, to feel more in control of yourself and, and, and your life. And yet, at the same time, that's the one thing that uh, we keep being told that, that we don't have control. I mean, that's it's really what we are. We get told a lot. You don't have any control over your life. Some people, that's their philosophy, that that uh, you, you just can't control the things that are going on around you. Uh, and to that end, uh, then it, it comes down to, okay, I can't control the things that are going on around me. So now I've got to control how I respond. And I've heard it said that there's a big difference between um, reacting to situations and acting. 
The difference is that uh, reacting has to do with uh, past experiences and how you react, how you acted then. Uh, and so now you're just reacting. You're doing it again instead of choosing a different way of dealing with that. Is that is that a fair assessment? I like that. That's a that's a nice, simple way to look at it. And, you know, what I what I would add to that is is this, you know, agency, you know, our personal agency is what allows us to make sense of what's going on around us. And whenever whenever we're exposed to something new, some new event occurring, um, you know, we 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 have a choice about how to respond to that whether to even respond at all. And so in what agency is, is it's, it's, it's your ability to, um, hit the pause button, reflect on what's going on, you know, inside of you reflect on what's going on you know, in the environment outside of you and to give some consideration to what, what, if anything, should I do, um, about the situation at hand? And, you know, a, a, a person with a higher level of agency is not simply going to react. They're, they're not just going to um, react in a, in, in a kind of reflexive way. Right. They're going to they're they're going to first try to make sense of what's actually happening, why it's happening, what it means. And, you know, and, and how best should I respond? Um, and, and, and so, you know, a person with less agency would 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 simply react more. Would be more impulsive. Would um, you know react in a, in, a, in a more you know a, a quicker, less thinking way. Now, I mean, there are certain situations. Obviously, we need to react very fast, right? If we're we're under threat, if we're in in a dangerous situation, you may not have five minutes to reflect on it. You may just need to act immediately. And that so we're not. I'm not talking about something like that, but I'm talking about you know other situations and and particularly um, situations where uh, it's an important decision that needs to get made, you know, and, and that's really, you know, for most people, it's the bigger decisions in life that, that they want to really put the thought into and, and they want to get those decisions right. Um, you know, there's smaller decisions each and every day that we all make that, that just aren't as consequential, you know, they don't have as, 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 as large an impact. So we wrote this book to help people, you know, really get, feel a, a higher level of confidence in their capacity to make the important decisions in their lives and, and get those decisions right more often than not. And because, you know, what we like to say, what we do say in the book and what I always say to people is in so many respects, each one of us is the sum total of all the decisions that we make over the course of our lives. And so if we are able to be more effective at decision making, um, you know, the quality of our lives is going to be more in line with what what we really want. Um, and there's a whole lot of things going on. You mentioned a minute ago, Richard, about you know what's what's working against us and and some of these larger forces in our society that that you know um, seem to be er eroding um, people's um, you know confidence. And making people feel, in some ways, like you know, they're 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 more stuck, or they, they can't, you know, they they they're they're not able to act on on their their environment or act in their lives to create a better situation for themselves. And so there 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 really are a whole lot of things that are that are that we're up against today that didn't didn't really exist or not to the same extent, you know, twenty or thirty years ago. It's interesting how we are bombarded daily hourly minute by minute especially for those who are on their screens i love that term now instead of trying to define which device they're on you're on a screen okay get off the screen <laughs> i have to tell my cat that he jumps up on the uh, bookcase where the tv <laughs> is get out from in front of the screen move cat <laughs> even even the cat is drawn to the screen yeah we're, we're drawn to screens like like moths to a flame that's it that's very very apropos uh it's just interesting how people but you know what i'm also hearing i'm also hearing that more people every day are Maybe not completely disconnecting, but they are cutting back their screen time. 
I mean, just little by little, uh, because they're realizing the the influence that it has, not just the electromagnetic influence, but also just the 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 influence of the input that they're taking in from all of the different places that they may subscribe to, whether it be Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is, or their news feeds and so on and so forth, because they're realizing that some people are starting to realize how much of life they're missing out on. It's just, it's really very interesting. Is that, is that a factor that you took into consideration in this uh, whole aspect of the, you know, this, this, this aspect of anxiety? And by the way, has the CDC come up with a vaccine yet so we can stop spreading it? (laughs) (laughs) Not, not, not yet. We're, you know, we're a little behind the curve, I think, in terms of, uh, in terms of fully acknowledging um, you know, the, 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 this epidemic of anxiety, mm-hmm. uh, you know, interestingly, the world health organization a couple of years back ranked the United States as the most anxious nation on earth. Um, so, you know, it is getting some press. I mean, we are, we are, it is starting to come out more. Um, and, but there, there, unfortunately there's, there's no vaccine. So instead you can, you, you, you can buy our book and, and, uh, and work on it, you know, your, yourself, but seriously, um, you know, we do, we recommend that people, um, limit the amount of time they spend on, on any digital device. Um, and, and for this reason, you, you know, it, it, we need to exercise some, a healthy amount of control over what we allow to enter into our brain. So I think mo- pretty much most everybody these days understands that um, if you uh, eat junk food, you know, all day, every day, your 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 health is probably going to suffer, right? You you know you're you know because fast food, junk food's not really designed uh, to to eat every day. It's you know it's fine you know when you you know on occasion. But by the same token, you know, there's there's a lot of junk information out there now, mm-hmm. a lot of information coming at us that's trying to influence us in various ways, so, sometimes trying to make money off of us, right, trying to get us to part with, 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 with cash, you know, to buy something. So there's a lot of information, you know, just the data on the statistics on, on just how much we are, the average American is exposed to each and every day, how many messages it's stunning. I mean, most people would be shocked. And so, um, we literally don't even realize it, you know, the extent to which we're being pitched advertisements or somebody's trying to influence our thinking. And guess what? It works. It works. And one of the reasons why it works is because, and psychologists know this well, cause they've studied it. But when 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 information comes in first, when we allow it to enter into our brain, the first thing that happens is we we acknowledge it or we see that information as being true, as being real and as being true. Now, if we want to then um, work on that further to kind of think about it and, and try to say, now, is that how do I know that's true? Um, you know, what's the data that supports that being true or not true, or, you know, whether it's a claim that something's going to cure you or whether it's somebody telling you, you know, about a world event, um, you know, our brains first initially assume that it's true. And then we have to work. We have to put some effort into disproving it. So the bottom line here is if you allow a lot of this information to come into your brain, you know, too much information, and particularly if it's if it's unreliable information, if the source is questionable, um, you know, you've got to work really hard to then decide whether, in fact, any of what you've heard is accurate or true. And so most people don't have the time for that um, or the inclination to do it. So um, the, that's the problem. And that's one of the things that we're up against. And and why that's challenging is now is because you know, one of the things that um, that is different about living today than 20, 30, 40 years ago is that the, men- the mental demands of modern life are dramatically different than what they were than what they were 50 years ago or 40 years ago or even 20 years ago. And the mental demands, what I mean by that is what's expected of us, of our brains in terms of our capacity 
um, to make sense out of things, to interpret things, to um, engage some critical thinking, and then to actually make decisions based on that. So the mental demands, what we're all ex- what's what's expected of us today, is really different. It's it's at a whole different level. And so all of us, most of us, are mentally taxed um, just by you know our day to day life, the amount of information coming at us. You know, the, the assumption being that we we can handle it, we can process all of that, we can make sense of it, we can act on the, the information that's real and true and reliable, and we can sort out what's what's untrue or just manipulative, and we can make sense out of all that. And most people, you know, don't have the bandwidth for that, you know? And so so that's one of the things we're all up against. Well, let me ask you something. And uh, two things have come to mind. One is the biochemical reaction of the human body. But I want to ask you a, a, another question in regards to uh, what you just said in terms of the various uh, factors. I love doing this program. I love asking questions. I'm a very curious individual. I get and I'm I'm curious as to how you feel right now about all of these questions that are being put to you, whether it's about the power of agency, uh, nuclear physics or the uh, the composition of dirt. If I was to ask you all kinds of questions that were so unrelated, how would you how are you feeling right now as the guest being bombarded by all of these crazy questions? Well, I'm sure I would start to feel frustrated and uh, I'd feel, uh, you know, know, and I might I might start feeling kind of uh, uninformed or, you know, a part of me might think, well, I I should know the answer to that question. If Richard's asking it, what's the matter with me? Why don't I know? (laughs) And so over time, I may start to feel, you know, my my confidence level might might decline because I'll think, well, God, I'm really doing a bad job here. I'm not answering any of Richard's questions. I don't. I don't know the answer to a lot of this stuff. So, yeah. you know, that's how I would eventually start to feel. Like, yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm not equipped to yeah. handle this. But right now, with the questions we're discussing and I'm bringing up, we're fine. You're, you're doing good. You're excited. Absolutely. I'm loving this because it's, you know, you're asking me questions related to something I put right. a lot of thought into. Yeah. And, you know, and so I'm, I'm enjoying that. I feel, I feel very capable and confident in my, in my ability to answer your questions. And I love um, to ask the questions. I yeah, get well, you're great at it. You're, it's obviously you're an expert at, at asking questions. Well, I get annoyed when people ask me questions. Not so much, for example, I have my own book out and I've been interviewed a few times and that's good. I like that. It's enjoyable. But when I get off of work and people start asking me questions about information that they think I'm supposed to have. Uh, and I say, I don't know. Well, but you work for this news and information. I don't know. And then there's another layer there that, and I don't care. <laughs> and and it's 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 like then I I get frustrated. I guess that's a part of of feeling anxious or having that level of anxiety. Uh, and it's like when I'm going, for example, going on vacation. Don't anybody ask me any questions that requires me to respond with some information that's supposed to help you move forward in your life right now. I'm on vacation and I don't want. Now, that's a big difference between that and uh, somebody wanting direction somewhere. I'll, I'll certainly help there and those types of things. But it's like, so did you hear the story about so-and-so and what happened to us and such? And what's the weather going to be like tomorrow? And it, is, 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 is there rain in the forecast? It's, I don't know and I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> um and so there's there's my there's my wall and it's it's I don't know whether it's something I really want to deal with and try to overcome so that I can answer them or come up with a better response of I don't know and I don't care. Um because then that annoys them and then you've got that then that's the addictive or the uh, not the addictive the um the the, the contagious part of it. I've just spread it to the next person, haven't I? Potentially, yes. Yeah. And this is this is what I would say is is it's interesting to me that people, you know, frequently um, ask you questions about a range of things on on some topics you you don't have, um, you know, the knowledge to be able to answer the questions. But 
people want I think what made me what what I was thinking about is people want answers to things. I think that you know and and I'm sure people probably see you as a very smart guy who 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 knows a lot and so they 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 want to they ask you tons of questions because they 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 assume you're likely to know the answer. Yeah. But none of us can know all the answers in in the world we live in today. The world yeah. has got much more complex. And that's what, you know, one of the things we're up against and why mentally we're so taxed these days. The world has gotten much more complex. In large part, we've made it more complex. Mm-hmm. Um, human beings have made it more complicated. And um, and it's not a good idea to try to set about to try to to know everything, to learn everything, to cram your your brain full of knowledge on, on each and every possible issue that you might be exposed to so you shouldn't be you shouldn't expect yourself to know the answer to everything and you certainly shouldn't expect another human being to know the answer to everything but what you can do is prepare yourself to face any 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 life question any issue that comes your way um that you know you don't have an answer to um you can actually prepare yourself to be able to deal with that. And that's what our book is about. It's really about helping, you know, it's, it's not about learn everything you can about every last subject on earth. It's really about getting yourself in greater balance and getting yourself to a more grounded place in your life and learning how to use your thinking skills in the best possible way. Because we were all, we were all given a lot, you know, thinking skills. And um, it's funny in school, a lot of you know, a lot of very uh, highly educated people, um, you know, have never really learned about how they make decisions, um, you know, their own you know process around how they actually think things through and make decisions. In fact, we interviewed a guy for our book who is a very senior level, um, accomplished, you know, really world renowned uh, physician um, here in Boston. And he's, he also happens to be a wonderful human being as, as well. But he decided that he was going to go around and interview um, some of his colleagues, some, some, some fellow doctors, you know, physicians who are at the top of their fields. And he asked them a very simple question. And he, said, he asked them, tell me about how you make decisions. And you know what he meant by that is, you know, how do you decide, you know, what's wrong with somebody, what what diagnosis to give them? And when he said, how do you, tell me your process around how you make decisions? You want to know something really strange? Those physicians, most of them were stumped. They they really weren't sure how to actually answer his question. And he ended up writing a book about it. And um, and you know, and so if if these you know, high level physicians, um, you know, had a hard time thinking that through or defining and describing how they actually think and make decisions. Imagine what it's like for the rest of us, right? The people who aren't high level physicians. So, so my point in bringing this up is that for all of us, we, we have a capacity to make decisions in our lives. But none of us has has, has 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 really probably given deep, deep thought to that or gotten any kind of training in, in how to make better decisions. And yet it's something we do each and every day. And, and sometimes we're making really important life decisions. And so, you know, part of agency, again, it's agency is all about the your capacity to choose, to you know, make choices and, and then act on those choices. And so if we make better choices, right, if we're better decision makers, um, you know, we have more confidence and it leads to uh, more fulfilling lives. So we really wanted to, you know, kind of uh, help people not give them more extraneous, useless information, but really equip them, you know, to better make sense of, of, of their lives and, uh, and and then make make better quality decisions uh, for themselves. We are talking with Paul Knapper. He's the co-author of the book, Power of Agency. We're going to continue our conversation. We're going to talk more about those seven steps, and we will be back with more of Tell Me Your Story in just a moment. Tell me your story. 
understand. I barely understand nuclear physics, so uh, there you go. I'm trying to understand the human psyche, and that's uh, specifically mine. I'm not trying to figure out yours. You, you That's your job. Uh, we're talking with Paul Knapper, and he is talking to us about the power of agency and the seven, the seven uh, principles of the said agency. Paul, thank you for staying with us here on the program. You've got uh, these seven uh, steps that uh, certainly people can go to your website uh, and read about. And your website and your co-author's website, of course, is powerofagency.com. So please check that out. Uh, we want to take uh, maybe take a look at each one of these control stimuli, which we, we actually have talked quite a bit about, especially in terms of uh, specifically screen time. Um, one of the things, though, that you said at the end of the last segment is is a key phrase that we use here. So uh, plagiarism is certainly OK. I, I completely condemn, uh, uh, condone it, not condemn, condone. <laughs> and that is that we provide people on this program with choices and knowledge of those choices to help make their dreams come true. But in your case, it was we're talking about power of agency to help them make better decisions to act instead of react. And I know that that is extremely important. Uh, but another one of the areas, too, uh, that I really like and you've you've again, you've you've delved into each one of these in, in some fashion throughout the first half of our program. But I love the one where you did allude quite a bit to the aspect of position yourself as a learner. Now, one of the things that I have done in my career when I have had coworkers to train is I want to train them to know how to do everything I do so I can move on to other things. I can go learn other things. But we've got a lot of people who are in positions in many areas of life. They don't want anybody else to know how they do what they do because they're protecting their territory. They're protecting their job. They're protecting their income. But that's not really protecting anything because you could still lose your job. You make yourself indispensable. That's great. But if you can't move forward in that position by learning new things, and this is sort of a side side uh, uh, aspect of it. But again, people uh, uh, need to um, know that they don't know everything, as you said before. And we also there's another phrase I've heard, too, Paul. We don't know what we don't know. And it's sort of a paradox of sorts. <laughs> So do we need to first come to a place of learning what we need to learn? We need to figure out what, well, what is it that I need to learn? Is that, is that a fair question? It's, it's, it's a very important question. I, I, I think that in this environment today we're living in, um, it, it is our capacity to learn, to take in new information and uh, to understand it and, uh, and, then, and then make decisions based on it. You know, we it's become this has become an expectation. Um, uh, whether you're you know looking for a new insurance plan or you know deciding to you know buy a car or you know wh whatever whatever kind of decision you're trying to make, a lot of them require learning. It, it it's not it, important important decisions um, for all of us usually require us to learn something first before we make that decision. So the reason this chapter is is so important which you know it's one of the 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 seven principles of agency and you you, you describe it it's, it's called position yourself as a learner what this means is actively position yourself to learn so so don't just be a passive uh, learner but actively position yourself to learn and how do you do that well one you know you ask a lot of questions you 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 you, you, you think about what kind of questions can I formulate on this to try to draw learning out of another person and see what they know on this topic that, that I don't know? The other thing we, we talk about in this chapter is it's helpful to understand how you learn best. What is your own unique individual learning style that works best for you? You know, some people work, you know, some people learn best through um, talking with other people. 
Some people learn best by reading and, and studying um, reports and data. And um, some people learn best just through doing, through actually doing things. Some people, you know, who have great mechanical aptitude, you know, work with their hands and they, you know, ha and, and, and they work more visually, spatially. And, you know, so it helps if we understand what type of learner we are, you know, what modes work best for us. Um, and then, you know, this whole chapter is about how can we learn even better? How can we learn in greater depth? How can we position, what are the things we can do to position ourselves to absorb more in, uh, information, in, you know, helpful information, um, choose to, you know, pay attention to uh, reliable information and weed out information that's just trying to you know, manipulate us or get us to buy something we don't need or, you know, whatever that, whatever else it may be. But really in some ways to, um, you know, position ourselves to, to, to learn more effectively than we do today. So this is because this is so important because we do live in, you know, it's a cliche to say it, but I'm going to say it anyway. We live in the information age and, you know, and what that means is that, more and more information is available to us and more and more information is actually coming at us and we're exposed to it. And we, you know, this ability to learn and separate what's important from what's not important, what's real from what's not real, it really becomes important to, to each and every one of us because we don't want to be misled. And I think the reality is, um, you know, that, 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 that a lot of people feel a, a sense of confusion today because it's sort of like, you know, there's so much coming at me. How do I even know what's real and what's not real? And what I say to people when they ask me that, I say, well, you know, one, give deep thought to where this information is coming from uh, that you're exposing yourself to. Do you know it's reliable? Do you know it's based on on, on something real? Um, and, um, and, you know, and, 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 you know, tr take some time to reflect on it and determine if it makes any sense, use your own common sense. Um, but you know, we're bombarded with so much information today that it's very hard for people to have, to feel they have the time and the energy to look more deeply, you know, behind the headlines, to look more deeply in, into things, into the details. And a lot of times, you know, that's where, that's where the truth lies. It's more in the details. It's not in the, it's not in the, you know, it's not in the headlines. So we live in very challenging times and this capacity to learn is, 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 is a, is a, is a really super helpful tool for all of us. It is uh, one other question I had. I said at the beginning of this segment, I had two things I wanted to address. Uh, have you addressed? Now you said this is very scientifically based, this information and, and, and so forth. So I'm curious, were there any tests done on the chemistry of people, whether they were anxious or otherwise? How is the biochemical, what is the biochemical reaction, if you will, to, uh, to anxiety versus uh, not no anxiety <laughs> or 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 being calm and at peace, if you will, um, uh, or or being in a good frame of mind and so forth. Uh, were, were any were was there any research done in that regard as to as to what hormones or other chemicals are created by the brain or the body that start pumping through that maybe make things worse? Absolutely. No, there, there is, there is data and there, there is research that we've, we've looked at uh, on the physiological uh, effects of stress and anxiety. And, you know, many people are aware of the stress hormone uh, called cortisol. Mm -hmm. So when, you're, when you experience something stressful, um, there is actually a physiological uh, reaction, you know, in your body. And, and a stress hormone is released. It's called cortisol. It, it turns into cortisol in your, in your blood. And if you have elevated, if you're under stress uh, a lot, you know, in your life, you're going to have elevated levels of cortisol 
in your bloodstream. And this stress hormone over time, uh, if, if you don't, if you're not able to um, have periods of time where you're less stressed, where, where, where you're more relaxed, um, this stress hormone not only interferes with your ability to think more clearly, um, but it also can produce uh, longer, longer, longer term um, chronic health problems. It can lead to things like high blood pressure, heart disease, diabetes, um, even obesity. I mean, so, so if, if, if you have elevated levels of stress hormones, you know, constantly circulating in your bloodstream, it really, your, 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 your whole body is no longer functioning optimally. And so what we want to do is it's, it's healthy to be exposed to some stress, you know, um, stress is not all to be avoided or feared. Sometimes stressful situations are, you know, give us an opportunity to learn something new and uh, flex our muscles, right, as, as humans. So all stress is not necessarily bad. But if it's the kind of stress that's, that's, that never goes away and, um, and we also feel like we can't do anything about it, um, that kind of stress turns into anxiety, long-term anxiety and, 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 and long-term the cortisol, the stress hormones circulating in your bloodstream, um, again, not only interrupt your capacity to think clearly and make good decisions, uh, but it also, um, it also physiologically, um, can set you up for a whole range of health problems later on. So that's what we, we want to make sure that people avoid that. Be, and that's one of the main things we cover in the book is how to get yourself to a more balanced state physically, mentally, and emotionally, and then how to use your thinking skills to your to the best advantage. Um, and especially when you're trying to make important life decisions. You when you do when you make an important life decision, you want to make sure you're doing that, you know, having thought through anything relevant and important to that decision so that, you know, you, you can be assured that you've made a, a really good choice. And, um, and because when you do that, you know, you have a, a happier and healthier life. So, so that's really, um, that's a great question, but physiologic, you know, we, 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 we operate as a system, Richard. And I think you, just by virtue of the fact you asked this question, I think you know this, um, our thinking is our thinking abilities are connected to um, our, our our physical health and to our emotional health. So if 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 our physical health and our emotional health are you know, are compromised or not in a good place, we're not going to be able to think um, at our best either. So um, and again, in this environment we live in today, where you know the the mental demands are so high, where you know we got we, we're supposed we're expected now just to be able to make sense of things and and to, you know make decisions um, based on all this information. You know, we we really have to. It's like a three legged stool. You know, if you want to have your thinking skills be at a, at an optimal level, you've got to also have you know your physical health be in a, in a pretty good place. And also emotionally, you want to have your emotional health be also in a pretty reasonably balanced place too. So it's just they all work as a system. And that's what gives you agency. That's that's one of the things that it kind of helps you to have a greater level of personal agency in your life. Yeah. I, I find it interesting as a kid growing up, I knew exactly what the advertisers were doing, especially on television. I knew what they were doing. They were trying to get me, as you've alluded to, buy, buy their product. And they would, uh, by any means possible, I mean, in the 50s, they did it in the movies by any means possible, by placing uh, in every 24th frame, uh, maybe a picture of a soft drink or a picture of popcorn or something that would subliminally get you to go out to the, uh, to the uh, concession stand and buy a soda and some popcorn. Well, nowadays, you've got ads everywhere. I mean, not only as far as the screens are concerned, but I remember when uh, baseball in particular decided that they were going to start putting advertisements along the, uh, the along the baselines uh, on the walls, as well as uh, in some cases on the on the on the outfield wall 
if you if they had one. Uh, and, and on, and I mean, it just goes on. And, and then, of course, they created them to where you didn't see them in the stadiums, but you could see them on TV. And then they would change and rotate around. And what's real interesting for me is that maybe at one point when a company would advertise because they wanted you to try their product because they thought their product would help you. Today, I don't think that that, that has anything to do with it anymore. Now it's just... How can we get the public, the consumer, to part with their money? We'll give them garbage. They'll never know the difference. We'll build in obsolescence and uh, no harm, no foul. I mean, I interviewed uh, 25 years ago a guy who wrote a book entitled Built-In Obsolescence. I said, why can't you build it? I'm not not saying it's going to last forever. But why can't you build it to last, make it strong and and durable? Because we have enough natural disasters to start with that you're going to need more refrigerators down the road to replace the ones that were destroyed in Hurricane XYZ. Uh, And today it's just about money. Now it's just uh, how can I get his money? How can I get him to open his wallet, give me his credit card so I can just drain his account, and then now I've got it. But then there's somebody after him saying, oh, he's got all this money, so let's see how we can get him to part with his money. Uh, and and it's, not, it's not as much about, I want to help you out. I, I, I want to feed you. I want to give you good quality food or a good product, a good refrigerator, a good pair of jeans, et cetera, et cetera. And that's the thing that troubles me about the, the, the world in which we live today. Uh, but, I, uh, but again, there is hope because uh, what we're seeing is, as I mentioned before, that study about the millennials and uh, wanting jobs with meaning and purpose that make well, a difference. And, and I, I think you bring up a really important point. All of us today need to operate with a healthy level of skepticism because, you know, we, we have so many um, modes of, of information, uh, modes of, of, of data where data and information can come at us to try to influence our thinking. And in fact, it's no coincidence that, you know, within the last five to 10 years, there are more and more psychologists studying the concept of human gullibility because, you know, we're all, it turns out we're all a bit more gullible than we, we believe we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, the reason why all these advertisements are being pitched at us is because they work and they actually take money out of my pocket and, and put it into someone else's. So, you know, gullibility is a real human problem. And one of the reasons for that is that, you know, a lot of people don't don't fully understand this or acknowledge it. We, we are actually herd animals. Human beings are herd animals. We, we kind of go with the herd. We look to the right. We look to the left. We see what other people are doing. And, you know, we take, we take our cues from that. And, you know, it's very important at a time when, when a lot of people seem to be losing their head. It's very important to keep your own. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's where agency comes in because it's this capacity to think more clearly for yourself and make more independent decisions, not necessarily doing what everybody else is doing or following the herd. And that's why social media can be, you know, kind of so dangerous because um, it, 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 it plugs into that herd instinct. And, you know, um, you know, herd animals are, you know, sometimes if there's a fire and everyone's running, um, you know, you probably want to run with the crowd and get out, of, get out of the burning down building. But, you know, a lot of times today, we just have people running with the herd um, and, you know, there's no fire. And um, and that's not good because each of us does better in our lives when we're making more clear headed and independent decisions and not doing necessarily what everybody else is doing. So then that would lead to the uh, uh, conclusion from my perspective that those people who are just running with the herd it's because they want to they have this need to belong they don't give a damn about the cause they just want to belong true i think that's right i mean i think we are social creatures um yeah. for sure as humans and and that's 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 mostly a good thing but the downside of that is you know yeah we want we want to feel a sense of belonging but you know i think if you have people pitching messages to you 
saying, you know, buy this in order to belong to this really special club mm -hmm. or you know, ascribe to this belief because you'll be one of us. That's where it starts to, you know, become a slippery slope, right? Because, you know, if I, you know, have this, if I spend $2,000 on, on, on a fancy watch, um, that I saw Brad Pitt wearing in his latest movie, <laughs> is that going to make my life similar to Brad Pitt's? You know, no, it won't. But, you know, but yet on, on a, you know, on a, on a human level, you know, we're very suggestible as humans yeah. and we're influenced by, you know, so we're influenced by social things. So, you know, that's why, you know, I, I think, I think it was my, my dad or my mom or both who said, you know, there's a reason why Madison Avenue, you know, the whole advertising industry and marketing infrastructure in our country is a multi-billion dollar industry because it works. That's it. <laughs> it really works. That's it right there. That's it right there. <clears throat> and of course, I've I've argued, uh, uh, you know, my complaints in regards to uh, Madison Avenue. Uh, you know, why don't you just lower the prices and not save your money in the advertising? Well, the bottom line is they wouldn't do it unless it worked. And when it stops working, they'll stop doing it and they'll do something else. That's right. just the way right. it is. Absolutely. You got it. Yeah. That's right. And it works. It's continuing to work. And, and part of it is we suspend our disbelief and we we also don't engage our capacities for more independent thinking. Um, and we go with the herd, right? And we buy the watch or we, you know, or we, we do this or we do that. And, um, and I think more and more, I think what people are realizing is their lives work better when they actually engage in more thought and make more independent decisions for themselves. And, um, because, you know, like we said, there's a lot of anxiety out there. So obviously what a lot of people are doing is not actually the best thing. Yeah. So, you know, it, in, in this day and age, it's not so great to simply follow the herd. No, it's not. Uh, there's that old line, uh, lemmings to the sea. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and in one sense, uh, there's a certain aspect of our society that's doing just that. It's just they're just going right over to the edge of the cliff and following the rest of the crowd that's jumping right over the cliff. Uh, and I would have to say that uh, you talk about the herd. But there's another there's another term that's used, too. And it sort of means something a little different, but not a whole lot. And that's tribalism. Yeah, absolutely. Similar. Very similar concept. Yeah. Um, very similar concept. And, you know, we can all relate to tribalism, right? I mean, we all have our favorite sports teams. And, yeah. you know, I know I do. And, um, you know, we can all you, we, we all can feel get charged up with a with a sense of rivalry when our you know, I, I live in Boston, right? When the Red Sox are playing the Yankees. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, I mean, try. I got to tell you, tribalism is alive and well. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, you know, and I think we can we can all relate to that. And, and at times when we're all charged up about about something, you know, with with that sense of tribalism, you know, it's hard at those times when we're all charged up to take a step back and reflect on what's real and what's not real. You know, and, and in that moment, if I step back and I look and say, hey, you know, these are two baseball teams. Right. And the Red Sox just happen to be my hometown team. And um you know, and um, these are just two baseball teams playing with each other. I don't have to invest it in. I don't need to invest so much meaning in it that it's you know it's a it's a this is not a life or death situation. Well, I uh, I'm a kid who loves baseball. Have loved it for decades. I am very grateful that I can declare that I come from a World Series town. Because um, the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks beat the beloved Yankees in seven, uh, and uh, that was that was quite exciting. And I always wondered because I always, I always uh, followed the Dodgers because that was the only game in town on Phoenix radio back when I was a kid growing up. Thinking, boy, it sure would be nice to have a baseball team in our own town. And we did have minor league, the uh, Phoenix Giants. Uh, then we got the D-backs, and I thought, oh, great, now we got a, a Bob. You know, we're not going to the World Series or even playoffs for a long time. And in four years, I was able to say I'm from a World Series town. So I'm very excited. No anxiety whatsoever there, but no animosity towards the Yankees because uh, they gave, uh, in that series, they gave us one hell of a fight. And I thought it was great competition. 
I didn't think our management was that great in New York when we put the same picture in two nights in a row, but that's another story for another day. I want to thank you, Paul Napper, for joining us here on the program. This has been fascinating, and I know there's a lot more that we could share uh, in regards to the power of agency because this encompasses the totality of our lives. It really does. Uh, and we can't really escape it, and we really shouldn't try. But I want to thank you again for uh, for being a part of uh, this program, Tell Me Your Story, and giving people some new choices to consider, uh, to think about, and uh, uh, to uh, maybe put into practice by picking up a copy of your book uh, that you and, uh, and your co-author have written, uh, Anthony Rayo. And uh, go to powerofagency.com and you can do just that. And, and uh, Paul, thank you again for joining us. Thanks so much for having me on the show, Richard. You asked great questions and it was really a pleasure. I also invite you, should you be out here, you or, and or Anthony, to uh, Santa Barbara. We'd love to have you in studio to talk more about this. But, you know, Skype works really well. I do have three final questions for you. Uh, yeah, please. But I want to let our listeners know, first of all, once again, powerofagency.com is the website. Please check out the book, Power of Agency, as well. And also a reminder that the podcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, and a whole bunch of other locations. And be sure to join us. Uh, all Just go to the podcast. Just listen. And go to our guest websites. They would love to have you check uh, uh, check out what they're doing and and ask questions of your own. Paul, my first of three questions before we go here is, number one, who is Paul Knapper? Well, I'm a psychologist. I started out, however, in finance, working on Wall Street, um, and uh, been a a practicing psychologist in the corporate space, working with business leaders for the last uh, 20 years. So, uh, So I describe myself as a speaker, psychologist, executive coach and author. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? Well, what I'd really like to to do is help, help people to create um, the lives they really want most to create, because I see a lot of uh, frustrated uh, people out there who feel stuck in their lives and it gives me great pain. I'm a very empathic person and it gives me a lot of pain seeing that. And I, I really want to equip people to make better choices uh, for themselves and also make the world a better place as well. And finally, what is your life's purpose? You know, it's a great question. And, I, you know, I think I think my life purpose is really t- to learn, to continue learning and uh, you know, growing and evolving uh, and, and also to share you know, my, my own journey, my own learnings with, with other people and hopefully, hopefully to in some ways be helpful to, to them. That, that really seems to be my, my core mission. Well, Paul, again, Paul Napper, thank you so much for joining us here on the program and uh, much success to both you and Anthony to, to infect the rest of the world with the power of agency. We don't need the CDC for this one. <laughs> That's right. You have the power within you. It just is waiting there to be unlocked. Absolutely. Thanks re- so much for having me, Richard. I really enjoyed it. You are very welcome. And I thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story with Paul Knapper, our guest here on the program and the power of agency. I want to let you know that this program comes your way Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m. And again, as I said, we stream live and the podcasts are all over the place. Until our next broadcast, love to lull.